There will always be technology, media, art, and entertainment surrounding each of us in our digitally saturated lives. How can we understand entertainment rather than simply consuming it? To analyze entertainment rather than passively experience it? I'm Jack W. Stamps. I'm a songwriter, producer, and composer. I am also a lecturer and program coordinator in the Center for Arts and Entertainment Technologies at UT Austin. This course, Foundations of Arts and Entertainment Technologies, takes a look at entertainment concepts, identifies the underlying technology involved, and reveals how this technology is delivered. From Kraftwerk to Nine Inch Nails, from Galaga to Oculus Rift, we'll cover music technologies, the concert experience, interactive performance, and robotics in art. We'll also be hitting traditional and mobile gaming, virtual reality, podcasting and Arduino, maker spaces and subversive technologies, and more. We will be joined by some fantastic visual artists. My fellow colleagues, Neil Daugherty, Dax Norman, and Sven Ortel. By the end of this course, you will have a better understanding of how art and technology intersect to entertain. Join me in this technological and artistic revolution. We're continuing our seven mountain mandate challenge in week six. Our first week we talked about the mountain of education. We need people that will get involved in the educational experiencing, experience, showing their support and encouragement being involved. We need people to challenge the mountain of religion with your personal testimony and demonstrations of God's power. We need people to challenge the mountain of family by calling us back to biblical values. We need people to challenge the mountain of business by creating wealth and having an impact on the business community. We need people that will challenge the mountain of government by voting, campaigning, lobbying, and running for office. And this morning, we're going to talk about the mountain of arts and entertainment. The video that you saw was a promo for a college course that we're not recruiting you for, but I wanted you to get just a little sense of one slice of arts and entertainment in the digital context to get a feel for how big this subject really is. We are surrounded by arts and entertainment probably more in our culture than we have at any time in human history. So you have to ask yourself the question, does art, does entertainment shape the culture or reflect the culture? And that, that argument or debate has gone on for a long, long time. And I think the only fair answer to that is yes, it does both. If you want to understand what a culture is like, if you were to go to another part of the world, you'd have to look at what they listen to, what they watch, what they engage in, what captures their attention. And there's a sense in which arts and entertainment reflect who we are. But if you look at all at our history, let's just go back to the 50s and follow it through to today, you can see that arts and entertainment has done more than reflect, it has shaped the culture. When entertainment and arts have pushed the envelope beyond what was acceptable in that day to what we're experiencing in this day, it has impacted our culture and it has moved us in a growing progression downward. An article about the subject says, in this mountain, the mountain of arts and entertainment, we find some of the most influential forces shaping our society. Music, filmmaking, television, social media, and the performing arts drive the cultural tastes, values, and standards of a nation's citizens, particularly its youth. With a heavy reliance on a strong appeal of sex, drugs, and alcohol, the arts and entertainment industries wield significant influence, and the body of Christ needs powerful, righteous men and women who are not afraid to take their God-given talent into the arts and entertainment arenas, people ready to further his purposes while impacting those who are lost in darkness and would not otherwise be interested in any other kind of Christian message, specifically in its traditional form. We've got to recognize that there is a whole force out there that the church must decide to be both salt and light in that community or in that uh, mountain context. 
So then, I need to talk about, just for a moment, and this may be perceived to be a little bit negative, but hang on with me for a few minutes and look at the impact that arts and entertainment has had on the church. It has shaped us. The church of Jesus Christ in America is not the same church that it was in 1950 or in 1920 or in 1900. We have moved along with the culture, and because we have not moved as fast as the culture, because we've stayed four or five steps behind the culture, we congratulate ourselves that we're not as bad as our culture is without looking back to realize how far we have fallen. We have to deal with issues of arts and entertainment in the culture, and one of our Assemblies of God universities recently tried to tackle that subject with a a seminar of sorts, various seminars titled Christians and the Arts. Everybody all right? <laughs> Christians and the Arts. And I was reading the descriptions, talked to someone who was there, and at one of, how many are still with me? At one of our institutions, one of the subjects on Christian and the Arts was the Christian and tattoos. And in the subscript or the description underneath, it said, Models will be used, visuals will be displayed, including nude depiction of tattoos. Now, would you just pause for a minute and understand what I just said to you? At one of our Assemblies of God institutions to teach our students about the arts, they're going to deal with tattoos with pictures of nude models. That would have caused our founders to roll over from their grave. They might even come out of the grave and pronounce Ichabod over us. We've gone so far, and we say to ourselves, well, we're not as bad as they are, but Jesus would say, look from whence you're fallen. And there was, there was no real outcry or outrage over that. There is something wrong with us when that's okay. Never would have expected at National Fine Arts, and I hope changes are being made, and I know that there'll be things that happen behind the scenes I'll never know about. But our children discovered at one of the displays a sculpture of a nude bust. Now, it was a little esoteric. It wasn't really graphically nude, but the description around it was to celebrate. The description talked about celebrating the naked female body in all of its forms. That's on one of our high school display tables at National Fine Arts. What's wrong? We've allowed arts and entertainment to, sh to shape us, and no one has put their foot on the brake and said, stop, look at what's around us and what's happening to us. We're allowing it to remove our edge and move us to a place we ought not go. Well, I was discussing that with some ministers, and they said, well, you're just narrow-minded, and I've been accused of that before. I've been told I'm so narrow-minded I can look through a keyhole with both eyes. <laughs> but I've met people so open-minded their brains fell out. <laughs> so we had that discussion, and they said, well, well you know, the, classic, the classics have nudes, and we don't think anything about that. We should. Really, the classic nudes, Pastor, you got a problem with that? Yes. Be a student of history. Read what the, what the sculptors said about their sculptures, and they were intended to evoke an erotic response in what we call the classic nudes. Take a child, as happens in our school system, happened to my grandson, who went to a museum where classic nudes are on display and felt violated by the experience. You see, until we're taught it's okay, there's a God voice inside of us that says it's not okay. Some years ago, we were at General Council. They had a Polynesian choir that came to sing, and my daughter was about five, I don't know, maybe four, I don't know how old she was, and I'm holding her, we're up on the balcony, and she's watching, and this Polynesian choir at a general council, the men are bare-chested with grass skirts, the women have um, grass bikini tops and grass skirts, and they're singing their songs and gyrating around, and my daughter leaned over to me and said, Dad, is this evil? And I said, Honey, I certainly think so. <laughs> you see, it's hear me, I'm, I'm, I'm not picking on somebody else, I'm talking about us. And I'm saying to you that somebody has got to say something's out of line here, but the biggest problem that I have is we've allowed arts and entertainment that we consume on a daily basis to dull our edge that we don't even recognize the impact that it's having on our lives. I talked to a national leader who talked to another national leader 
who went to a movie that was rated R and had full frontal female nudity, and this National Assembly of God leader didn't see any problem with that. I'm telling you, it's time to look back and see from whence we've fallen. Is there anyone in the house this morning? I'm not picking. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm telling you factual information that arts and entertainment is not reflecting our culture, but arts and entertainment is shaping our culture, and what we're consuming outside the walls is affecting what happens inside the walls, and it's time to say, let's turn the tide, let's put our foot on the brake, and let's offer an alternative that is as good and as quality as they're offering in a faith-filled context. Now, family media on the positive side is growing in respect. I remember when the only Christian films we had were things like Thief in the Night. Thief in the Night was a Sunday night church play on video. It didn't have the quality, but it was, and I'm not knocking it. I'm telling you what, I got saved every time we watched that film, Thief in the Night. I still get chills when I see that electric razor in the sink and know the guy disappeared. (laughs) The alarm clock that doesn't shut off. My oldest son got saved. I think it was after Distant Thunder, or maybe it was Thief in the Night, and then Image of the Beast. It's come, Jesus, come quickly. I don't want to miss the rapture. They weren't bad, but there wasn't any way that was going to show at the theater downtown. It didn't have that quality. But we have Christians that are rising up to challenge arts and entertainment and have said that we're going to produce a product that is family-friendly, that is faith-based, that is every bit as good quality-wise as what Hollywood is producing, and they're shocked to, defy, to, to discover that it's beginning to compete with the secular market because there's an appetite out there for wholesomeness and goodness and purity, and the church should be encouraged by that and champion that and say, let's get out in the forefront and let's make that happen. The tide is turning. It is changing. (coughs) Why haven't we made a difference to this point? It's because, I want you to think about this, and I'll reinforce this just a little bit from now. Unfortunately, the church has been satisfied with mediocrity and wondered why no one wants to watch what we have to offer. We have to decide that we're going to take God's gifts and use them in a way that honors him. Now, the problem is Scripture doesn't say much about arts and entertainment. There's nothing about video games. (laughs) But there are principles that we can live by. And I think one one of the most beautiful examples of the arts is in the creation of the tabernacle and what God says about all of that, the creativity and the skills. And we're going to look at two individuals and look at their name. Now, I, I want to help you understand I'm not an allegorical preacher. What does that mean? It means I don't see a hidden significance in every name and every bush and every leaf and every tree and try to make all those speak. But there are times when Hebrew names meant something. And in this case, these, ne- these names give us a hook to hang truth on that I think will help us. I've changed the references from your outline. You'll have to correct them as we go along. But first, I want to challenge you that, um, or, oh, no, 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 no. I got ahead of myself. I have, to ask, I have to ask you a question. Everyone in this room has been given a gift by God. We talk about spiritual gifts. We talk about vocational gifts. We talk about service gifts. But there are other gifts that aren't in Scripture that he gives you. And we have grown up, those of us who grew up in Pentecost or grew up evangelical, that if you felt like you could do something well, that is arrogance. So I could prove it this morning. If I went around the room and said, tell me something you're not good at, we would rattle that off without any, I'm not good at this. In fact, now that you've asked, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not any good. I don't know why I take up planet Earth. I'm not good for anything. Reminds me of holding my newest grandson the other day, and he was all sad, and I tried to get him to smile, and he wouldn't. And then when I talked to him, sad, I went, what's the matter? And he went, that's what we're doing when we talk about our gifts. We're whining, we're complaining. We know all the things we can't do. But if I went around and said, what are you good at? What are you good at? The majority of believers would go, I, I, I don't know, isn't that Pride. Do you know when you're constantly running yourself down, you're just as prideful as someone who's constantly lifting themselves up? Pride is an overemphasis on you 
And we ought not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but do what? Think soberly, as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. You need to understand what he has gifted you to do and what you're good at. When I went to Bible college, I knew that God had called me to ministry, and I'd read a book called Brother Andrew about a Bible smuggler in the Soviet Union, and I wanted to be a Bible smuggler because you could serve Jesus and you weren't supposed to talk to anybody. And I felt like that would work. And that was good for me, and that lasted for a while. I tra- speech class terrified me. I got so tickled at something when I was trying to give a speech, I started laughing in embarrassment. They had to send me out in the hall, brought me back in. I tried again, got laughing. They sent me out in the hall again. It was humiliating. I wasn't the guy. And so when I went to Bible college, I, 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 I didn't know what I was going to do. I, I would not say I preached. I gave a talk. I spoke barely. And to say I'd preached a message was something I felt I hadn't arisen to. Now, hang on. The cards and letters will come. Please do not respond to what I'm going to say next. I'm trying to make a point, all right? Please don't respond. If, <laughs> stay as you are. If, I were, if you were to ask me, Pastor, what are you good at? I would tell you that I'm a good preacher. God's brought me to a place that I feel like I'm a good preacher. He gave me a gift. I want to use it for his glory, and I'll walk in that. And I know that it came from him. I know that I don't have that ability in my own strength, but I'm going to use that because he gave it to me, and I want to use it for the kingdom. And it's not arrogance. The fact that I even feel uncomfortable saying that shows how it's woven into our fabric. What are you good at? Identify that, and then don't be afraid to celebrate that under his covering. You have a gift. He's given you something to use. Use it for the kingdom's sake. And it is God honoring when you recognize the gift as something he's given you that you're good at. We need to recognize that. So how do we, how do we balance that? Well, first I'd suggest to you we need to sanctify our gifts. In Exodus 35, verse 35, it talks about a man named Ohaliab. Ohaliab of the tribe of Dan was given by God the ability to teach others and filled with skill to do all kinds of work as a craftsman, as a designer, as an embroiderer, and gave all of them the skill to be weavers, master craftsmen, and designers. You won't find that in Scripture, but here's what it's telling me. Just as he gives some people the ability to create wealth, he gives some people the ability to create art. He gives you the ability to make an impact in that field, and that is from him, and we need to recognize that. Whether it's painting or sculpting or acting, drama, cinema, digital arts, wherever it is, a place where where he gives a gift. So let's explore that a little bit, the name Ohaliab. Here's what his name means. Now watch. Here's what his name means. It means my father's tent. My father's tent. It speaks of the tent of the father, the father's tabernacle, or the temple of the father. It speaks of the authority and covering of the father. It's important in the Old Testament where men pitched their tents. Jacob built an altar, the Bible says, where he pitched his tent. Moses met his father-in-law, greeted each other, and then came into the father-in-law's tent, which spoke of welcome and friendship. Both Lot and Moses' father-in-law are evaluated by where they pitched their tent. Where did Lot pitch his tent? He pitched it toward Sodom because that's the direction he was going to go. And Absalom humiliated his father by where he pitched his tent. So it doesn't mean that Ohaliab stayed in a place under his father's authority, but it basically is saying this, that Ohaliab was a man that was going to honor the authority, the name, the reputation, the character of his father. I'm not going to get outside my father's tent. I'm going to stay in that place of accountability. So when God gives us gifts, we need to stay under his covering and his authority, not dishonoring our father. Now, when I was growing up, I heard all the time, don't prostitute your gifts on the world stage. And so I thought, well, I know what that means. It means then that you should only use your gifts in church. And for a while, that was the culture. If you sang, you sang in church. If you played an instrument, you did it in church. Whatever you did, you had to do it in church because out there was prostituting your gifts. And then I remember hearing a pastor's wife who was a 
great vocalist, and I heard her talking about getting paid to sing commercial jingles. I just expected God to strike her dead, you know, because she was taking it outside the walls. And then I got, I got thinking about that. The reason the world is winning, I want you to listen to me really carefully. The reason the world is winning in arts and entertainment is because we've kept our gifts inside the walls. God never intended our gifts to stay inside the walls. Hear me now. He intended them to stay inside his tent. You don't have to stay in the walls and only do it here. You can do it out there, should do it out there. Use your gifts to influence this world. Use your gifts to make an impact. But as you're using them outside the walls, don't get outside his tent. Don't use it in ungodly ways. Don't use it in evil ways. Always honor the Father. And you can do that in a secular environment. It's called being salt and light. Inside the tent. I um, thought about a song this week. Some of you are too young to even know who I'm talking about, but how many of you have ever heard of Larry Norman? Okay, we got a few of you. Good, thank you. We got some Larry Norman fans. Uh, Larry Norman wrote a song in 1972. How many of you were not born in 1972? Yeah, that's, yeah, you need to be a student of history to help your faith. Larry Norman wrote a song, had one line in it that became the title of the song, Why Should the Devil Have All the Good Music? It's a great song, deeply spiritual, deeply theological, one you ought to put to memory. In fact, let me give you one stanza that will help you. They say to cut my hair, they're driving me insane. I grew it out long to make room for my brain. I'm telling you, it was just profound. <laughs> Just amazing stuff we're talking about. It was so deep. But he, but he asked the question, why does the devil, why should the devil have all the good music? What was he trying to say? He was saying, why aren't we out there? Why aren't we engaging the culture? Somebody's going to sing in the top 40 or the top 10. Somebody's going to be out there selling the album. Somebody's going to be doing that. And can you sing? I know this is a stretch for me. Can you still, can you sing a secular song and still have God's blessing? Yes, as long as you stay in your father's tent. If you're singing about divorce and alcohol and the tornado killed your dog and, and your wife ran away, no, you're outside the father's tent. But there's an appetite out there for skilled musicians, skilled artisans, skilled artists who will get a hearing because they're outside the walls but inside the tent. Is anyone hearing me this morning? Let's use them out there but stay inside the tent. Don't, get, don't keep it inside the walls. We've lost because we've abdicated the battle. We've moved outside. We've moved out, uh, we haven't moved outside the walls. Do you know a number of singers began singing in church? Katy Perry. Can't think of what I'd let her do on our platform. <laughs> Jessica Simpson, Britney Spears. Tina Turner, Whitney Houston, Andy Griffith. That'd just be fun to see Andy in the choir. He and little Opie. <laughs> Kevin Costner, Costner uh, Usher, little Richard. Any of you old enough to even know who little Richard is? I mean, that would be weird in the choir. Woo, wouldn't it? To see him up there, that'd be a little strange. <laughs> Diana Ross, Justin Timberlake, Elvis Presley. Span the generations. What happened? They started inside the walls, inside the tent. And then they got outside the walls, inside the tent. And then they got outside the walls and outside the tent. And then their gift is lost on the kingdom because it's about secular accolades. We need people who are going to say, why should the devil have all the good music? He doesn't. Because we're going to take our gifts outside the walls and show them that a song anointed by God will work on any platform, whether it's on Broadway or it's in the, the house of God. If it's inside the tent and outside the walls, it will carry his anointing and it will capture the imaginations of people. You need to sanctify your gifts. And secondly, you need to steward your gifts. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, 
the tribe of Judah, and has filled them with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge, and all kinds of crafts to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze. The name Bezalel means in the shadow of God or in the protection of God, a place where God protects and provides covering. So you want to stay inside the tent, and you want to stay in the place of his protection. Those that are going to take their gifts outside the wall need to stay in the tent, in guidelines and boundaries, but also under the shadow of the protection of the Almighty. We can't do anything without the touch of God. So where is that safe place? How do you stay there? You stay there when you're walking in his will. Walking in the will of God keeps the protection of God in your life. Now, understanding that it gives you gifts to impact the world, to be salt and light, you're inside the tent and you're under the shadow of his covering. What does that mean to walk in the will of God with your gifts? Well, let me tell you one thing I believe it means. It means you need to steward that. What does that mean? Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. For in the grave where you are going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Whatever you do, do it with your might. Whatever you do, do to the glory of God. <laughs> Again, why haven't we made an impact? Because unfortunately, in the church, we're satisfied with mediocrity. We tell people, <laughs> that scared me. I saw where that was going. Let me run at it again. We tell people who aren't any good how good they are. Because we're, we're mercy givers. We love people. And someone will get up and sing and we'll listen to that. And, or someone will do a teaching and it's like, well, that's the most horrible thing I ever heard. And he asked, well, that, well, how did I do? Oh, you did wonderful. Listen, you will give an account to God in the day of judgment for every lie that you tell. <laughs> We're not helping people who are not good that they are good. We've got to have a place where we're honest enough to say, that's not your gifting. I appreciate your passion, but I don't want to do that again. Some years ago, I preached at a camp meeting, a tent meeting, camp meeting. It was indoors, camp meeting. And it was the last service, Sunday morning, and they had a guy get up to sing. A good guy. I knew he loved Jesus, had a heart for God. He probably had sung before. I hope not, but he might have sung before. And uh, he started to sing, and he changed keys four times, only it wasn't planned. <laughs> and so there, the guitarist, the lead band member is playing along with him and then he changes keys and you can see him going ding, 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 ding. oh there he is start playing again and then about the time he'd catch up he'd go off on another key and shake his head ding, ding. oh there he is and go again that happened four times during the song and I'm going to do a little I'm not mocking I'm just trying to help us understand that if we're going to impact the world they're expecting excellence and we ought to as children of God do everything we can with all of our might so he's singing an old country song, and it, or southern gospel song, and, it's, and it sounded just like this. It's me again, Lord. I got a prayer that needs an answer. It was horrible. I had to preach after that. My prayer was, come quickly, Lord Jesus. My, I, my, I've never heard anything. Am I telling the truth? I'd never heard anything like that in my life. <laughs> and people are going around after him saying, that was a great job, brother. No, it wasn't. Don't lie to the poor sap. Tell him he can't sing. You'll do the kingdom a favor by telling him he can't sing. It's not his gift. <laughs> Caleb was about eight, I'm going to guess, and maybe a little younger we're in the car, and we're leaving. We had, a, we had potluck, which is also, I always pray over a potluck. If you eat any deadly thing, it will not hurt you. But we got through the potluck. We're driving out of there. And I said, Caleb, what did you think? He said, Dad, you know that guy that sang? I thought, oh, no, he's going to tell me he liked it. I said, you know, he said, you know that guy that sang? I said, yeah. He said, why didn't somebody make him stop? <laughs> it was so 
obvious, but we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. So you know what's going to happen when you bring a guest and he sings? Your guest is going to say, those people are nuts and never come back again. And they're liars because they're tricking people into thinking they're good. I, I, I know. I know. People say, tell me what you really thought. I know they don't mean that. But save the kingdom by telling them that's not your gift. We have to quit settling for mediocrity if we're going to have a voice in this world of excellence and do everything we can to the best of our ability. Doesn't mean you'll climb to the top of Broadway or the top 20, but it might mean you doing it to the best of your ability will raise up children who will be able to go on from there and stand on your shoulders. My mother wanted us to experience the arts, and this may come as a shock to you, but um, she signed my sister and I up for tap dancing. <laughs> it didn't take long for the instructor to recognize we didn't have that gift. Toe, heel, toe, heel, swing, toe, heel. I have nightmares over that. So we quit tap dance. Oh, thank, thank you, Jesus. And then she wanted me to play an instrument. So we went to the music store, signed up for lessons. And you see, I grew up listening to country music all day long. My parents listened to country music. So the instrument I wanted to play was the steel guitar. How many know what a steel guitar is? I mean, that's just cool. What other instrument can you start to play and go, you know, it's just, it's, it is amazing. I went in there and I wanted to whang away. And the lady came out, it's going to be my teacher. What do you want to play? I want to play steel guitar. She said, I hate steel guitar. I think it's a terrible instrument, but I'll teach you if you want to. What are you going to say? I'm in fourth grade. What do you want me to play? <laughs> so I take lessons on acoustic guitar. That didn't last either. I got so tired of ding, dong, ding, dong. I quit. Now, I wanted to chord. I didn't even know what I wanted, but she's teaching me ding, dong. So I quit. And fifth grade, go to school. What do you want to play? I'm going to try. This is, this is strike three. I want to play the saxophone. It's such a cool instrument. I mean, who doesn't like a saxophone? You can do all kinds of things with that. You can get people out of their seat dancing if you can do a saxophone, right? I listened to a guy at a meeting I was at a year ago that I'm telling you prophesied on the saxophone. He was so good. When he moved from playing into worship, people stood, raised their hands, began to sing out to God. I wanted to play the saxophone. And they said, well, son, you can't play the saxophone. Why? Your fingers aren't big enough to cover the holes. So again, I said, what should I play? I don't want to play a flute. I'll pass out. I don't have enough wind. <laughs> Why don't you try trumpet? You only have to blow it through a hole this big around. So I played trumpet, enjoyed it, did pretty well at it. Played it all through um, high school and played it in college, played it after college in bands and then worship styles. You can play along with a band. Um, would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood. That's great for trumpet and play along. And then music styles changed and I put it away and I was preparing for this message. I had a king silver flare and it's sitting under my desk. I keep it in there and I thought, I should get that out. Maybe I'll play it on Arts and Entertainment Sunday. Maybe I'll play it a little bit. So I got my trumpet out and played it a little bit. And I heard God say, put it back under the desk. <laughs> no, he didn't say that. I said that. It's, if you know anything about brass, my lip gave out in about two and a half seconds. And could I get back there? Yes, I could. I'm telling you, I could get back there. I was a good, I was a good trumpet player. I could get back there. But I don't see any reason to do that. That's not my calling or my gifting. But what it did, it was a tool to teach me skills that I've used all my life in music and understanding music and vocal and everything else on the music spectrum came out of that understanding. And as a home missions pastor, you do everything. You plunge toilets and direct the choir. There isn't anybody else. And so I'm doing all of that because I learned a skill set. So what I'm saying to you is if you can't do it with excellence, if you won't put your hand to it, if you won't give everything to it, can we give up on mediocre expressions of supernatural gifts and decide if the supernatural God has given a gift, we're going to do it with all our might, we're going to do it with all our strength, and I might not be the best in the world, but I will be the best that I can be. Amen. Then, then you'll honor God with all of your might. Practice, develop, grow in your gifts. I take longer today to prepare a message than I did when I started. 
Do you know I calculated up the other day, I don't know how many sermons it is. I have many of them in file boxes. I wouldn't have to study another day, and I'd preach till your funeral. But the day I start coasting is the day I need to sit down. And the more I learn, the more I don't know, and the harder I work, and the more time I spend. Why? Not because I want to impress you, and really it's not about you saying it was a good message or not. I want to know when I'm done, I've done it with all my might, that he will say, well done. And however it flies or doesn't fly, it's all in his hands because I'm taking my gift and I'm giving it back to him to use. And I want to know that I've done it with all. Is there anyone in the house? I want to know that I've done it with all of my might. You need to steward the gift. And again, it may not be that you will be the number one person in the world, but you might be the one who shares your gift with someone who will stand on your shoulders and go further than you've gone. And in stewarding the gift, you have to understand what aren't your gifts. Because the third part of this is share your gifts. So we're going to stay in the tent under the shadow and then willing to share. So listen to this. This is amazing to me. I I hope you can grab hold of this. It just really, I looked at it and said, that's amazing. Bezalel and Ohaliab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given skill, Exodus 36.1, to whom the Lord had given skill and ability to know how to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary are to do the work just as the Lord commanded. Here's what happens. He gives you a gift and then he invites you to come and use it. Are you serious? If I gave you a gift, I'm going to expect you to use it. He gives a gift because the development and use of the gift is up to you. You've got to bring it back. You've got to say, God, I'm willing to use this for you. Yes, you gave it to me. I'm going to use it for you. This wouldn't be a big deal to you probably, but it was to me at the time. I was in Bible college and broke. And it was Christmas, and Christmas is a big deal, and I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to give gifts to everybody. And uh, when I was a kid, my dad uh, got me started on aquariums, and I loved them. And I remember when he put me in charge of the aquarium, I thought I was king of that aquarium. And it was something we had done together. So I went to garage sales, and I found a cheap 10-gallon aquarium, and I bought gravel, and I bought stuff to go with it from garage sales, spent a little bit here, a little bit there. Uh, you can tell you're desperate when you, when you um, talk someone down from 25 cents to 15 on a shell. I need this to go as far as I can. Put it all together. I give it to him. He says, thank you. And it's not set up for, come back to see him two or three months. It's not set up. Finally, he gets it set up, and it's cloudy, and he doesn't like it. And then a few months later, he gives it back to me. Here, I don't, I'm, we're not going to use this. Uh, maybe I should have been bigger than that. But I just felt really, really wounded by that. Anybody know what I'm saying? Well, what do you think God does when he's given you a gift and you just put it in the closet? Or you get it out now and then to look at it. And you don't, you dishonor the giver. By your mediocre handling of the gift. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? Because he calls us then to bring it back and share it. Skilled and willing to work. Skilled and not willing to work is a bad combination. Skilled by definition means being good at doing something. In the parable of the talents, which I know means money, but it, it, it can apply to anything you've been entrusted with. Five, two, and one. Five, Gained five and were honored. Two gained two and were honored. The one that was given one buried it. And he was said, you have no place in the kingdom because you dishonored me by your dishonoring of the gift. I have a, a video clip here I want you to watch. It's from a film from 1980. It's kind of in the genre of Princess Bride. It's one of those that, that is kind of cheesy and corny. But it carries a message. You can't hardly, it's kind of like a train wreck. You can't hardly look away. But it carries with it this idea. 1980 was called the music box. Has anybody seen the music box? Oh, yeah. Some of you will you'll get this. And so this guy finds a music box and it represents the gift of God in his life and his life changes. But he doesn't want to share it and he's hiding it from everybody. 
And so goes on how it's changed his life, and he won't, he won't share it, and then this happens. The angels come. Hey, you're not supposed to hoard it. Huh? Your gift. It was meant to be shared. No, she... She, she wouldn't understand. Oh, no, wait, wait. No, no, no. Stop. Sing. Hallelujah. Wait, no, no, stop. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah to the King of Kings. Give it unto you, not to keep our store, but to spread his joy anew. Then peace and joy will come, greater than you'll ever know. Hallelujah, unto the King of Kings. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Ask and it shall be given, given unto you. When that precious joy has been given unto you, don't keep it for yourself. Share it with someone else. Share it in your home. There with your loved ones. Share it with your mother. Share it with your father. Share it with your sister. Share it with your brother. I did say 1980. Expect that to show up next Sunday on the worship team. <laughs> White tuxedos and embroidered wings. I mean, couldn't you see Pastor Nathan wearing that at the keys? It would just be, be amazing. The point of that is it captures, in a cheesy way, it captures the idea that the gift is to be shared. Now, I want to give you a balancing piece to this. <laughs> the Bible says... A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. If you're constantly trying to knock open doors to share your gift, you don't have that gift. The gift will open doors for you. You don't open doors for your gift. If nobody wants to hear you sing, you probably don't have that gift. If you want to be a teacher and no one's asking you to explain anything to them, you're probably not a teacher. If you think you're a leader and no one's following, you're only taking a walk. We were instructed yesterday that if you want to find leaders, find people who have followers. Your gift will open the door, and if you have to keep pounding to get it open, may not be your gift. And not every door that opens is for you to go through. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to use an illustration I, I run great risk here of being called arrogant, um, and, and that's okay. I've been called worse things, late to supper. When I began to develop the preaching gift that I feel like God gave me, doors began to open to travel and speak. And those doors, um, those doors became more and more frequent, more and more frequent. And here's what you have to know. Um, I was making double on the road what I was making at home. But it left me empty because God didn't call me to be a traveling preacher. He called me to be a pastor. And I had to decide which door I was going to walk through. And Carol and I had a long conversation about that, that this isn't working because it's not my calling. Call me arrogant if you want, but I'm telling you, I believe I could start again tomorrow knocking on doors they'd open and I could stay busy doing all of that, but that's not my calling. 
Pastor Nathan is a gifted worship leader, and he could travel the country, traveling if that's what he wanted to do, making more money because they'll pay well when you travel. But he knows God's calling is on the local church and to pour into the local church. So what I'm saying to you is when doors open, you have to evaluate which one's from God. But if no doors are opening, you don't have that gift. I want to teach children, and you keep getting fired. <laughs> Your gift might be as simple as changing diapers in promised land and knowing that you are the instrument of God to pour love into little lives so that they understand that someone at church loves them. They'll be able to respond later to the love of God. Thank God for people who have artistic skills that can help with a number of things we do around here. I can draw a mean stick figure, and that's about it. We need people who have gifting in the local church, but you don't have to keep it in the walls. You have to keep it in the tent and under the shadow. But thank God for people who are willing to share their gifts when doors open. And if your gift, I'm trying to be kind to you, okay? I have no one in mind in particular. If I'm looking at you right now, I'm sorry. But if your gift isn't opening any doors, you don't have that gift. How many know that wanting something doesn't mean you possess it? So find out where your gift is and then share that, and that will open doors for you. So here's how I want to end this morning. Some of you may have put away your gift. Maybe a number of doors didn't open for you. And sometimes our expectation can keep us from the open door. Again, I'm just going to be transparent with my journey, my struggle. Someone's going to hit me with this, I'm sure. I remember the day as clear as today. I was driving around the town where I was pastoring, and uh, don't judge me. <laughs> I, I said, God, this place where you have me is too small for me. My gifts are bigger than this. If you would give me a bigger place... I could do more for the kingdom. My gifts are bigger than this. <laughs> oh, be careful. Because then he opened my eyes and my understanding. And he said, you're looking at the wrong thing. Listen, watch. You're looking at your place on the wall whether than, rather than seeing the whole wall. Everyone who serves faithfully at their place in the wall will be rewarded for the entire wall. There is no bigger place than where I have placed you because everyone who is faithful at their place will be rewarded for the wholeness of the wall. I'm not telling you that you will have a song that will play the top 20 or that you'll have a leading role in Hollywood. I'm telling you that as you use your gifts artistically, sculpting, singing, acting, drama, whatever that is, and doors begin to open, you might find yourself with an art display in Pleasant Hill that opens to something else, singing that opens doors, drama that opens doors. Don't be afraid to go through those doors because we need an army of men and women that will rise up and influence arts and entertainment in the same way, reversing the influence it's having on us. <laughs> Let me tell you why we work so hard. We work really hard with fine arts in young adults because some of them you're going to hear about years from now. They're going to make an impact. They're going to be heard somewhere. And they're going to influence arts and entertainment because they learned at BSC how to use their gifts and they were taught to stay in the tent and under the shadow. 
and have used that to influence outside the walls. So if everyone would stand, please. I'm praying God will raise up an army. Raise up an army. Not everybody can be Joel Olstein preaching to 25,000 a week. But if every preacher were Joel Olstein, there'd be nobody to visit you in the hospital when you're dying. There's a place at the wall. And if you'll serve there, God will reward you for the whole wall. So the heads bowed, eyes closed, just for a moment. Is there a gift in you that you've put away that you shouldn't have, that God is speaking to you? Maybe you had a calling for painting or sculpting, serving in some other capacity, and you put it on the shelf. And this morning he said, I want you to get that back out. And I want you to do it with all of your might. Artists, musicians, drama, technicians, programmers. I want you to do it with all your might. I'm so tired of seeing secondary, mediocre Christian computer games trying to compete on the secular market. We need artists in that field. And he's called you. He's calling you to pick that up again. Would you just lift up your hand and say, God, I'm willing. I'm willing to pick that up and begin to use it again. Hold up your hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hands going up all around. Lord, you see the hands that are raised. We're responding to your spirit right now. We're responding to your spirit. We're going to pick up our gift, and we're going to do it with all our might. And how many then would join me and say, Dear Lord Jesus, as you reveal gifts to me, I promise to respond to you and use whatever you give me for the glory of your name. I'll be listening. I'll be watching. I'll be responding. I'll do it to the glory of your name. Would you lift up your hand and say, God, I'm a willing vessel. Give me a gift. <laughs> Give me a gift. And I'll use it for your glory. I'll use it for your glory. If it's in a room with preschoolers or it's in a college classroom, I'll fill my place at the wall for your glory. Jesus, you see our hands raised in submission to you and surrender to you. Would you help us this morning? understand how you've gifted us and equip us to use it so we can impact this mountain of arts and entertainment and be a part of the revival that you're bringing in this day. I ask in Jesus' name. And everyone in agreement said, amen. God bless you. Turn, shake someone's hand, give them a hug around the neck. Make sure they know that you're glad they're here today. God bless you.